I'm Dave Ferguson, pastor of the Collegedale Church here on the campus of Southern Adventist University. Welcome to our podcast. We're going to explore today some of the relevant words of Jesus Christ in Scripture to my life, to your life. So enjoy the message. Something just happened that many of us take for granted. Another year is officially in the past. A chapter is closed. And now we look ahead to a new year. The mistakes, missteps, and missed opportunities of the past give way to hope, excitement, and joy for the new life God gives us, pursuing Christ with each new dawn. Through His grace, we get the chance to reset the clock, to forget what lies behind, and strain forward to what lies ahead. As we work, play, rest, and worship, we know His mercies are new every morning. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength, arriving at next year's end through His faithfulness. So whatever we do this year, let's give it to God, seeking His will, trusting His plan, and taking this opportunity to restart. Good morning. Well, afternoon, dear ones. Awesome, awesome. I know that uh, I don't frequent the pulpit too much, but you know of me that I want this to be a dialogue. So there aren't going to be a lot of rhetorical questions. I really want to hear from you. So good afternoon, dear ones. Awesome, thank you. You guys rock. See, that's, the, that's what I'm talking about. But I've always wanted to say this. Have no fear, the self-proclaimed holiday preacher is here. So, yes, I remember at this time last year, I was battling COVID and uh, chose not to speak because I didn't want to uh, share any of that with you all. And uh, thankfully, uh, Pastor Ed Wright stepped in and, and he did a marvelous job last minute and all. He and I had been in contact that week, but he was a handsome fellow, so it was a good replacement for me, right? So, anyhow. So the, the, this is the, the deal with us today. First of all, I'd like to uh, wish all of you and those who are via live stream or in the archive a merry belated Christmas. You're welcome. And a happy early New Year. Because granted, as at Venice, you know, when the sun sets, that's when we receive our new day. Uh, but some of you may wait till midnight, and that's okay too. But the idea is we wanted to wish you on behalf of the staff a happy new year. We're glad you are here with us today. Now, I actually have the distinct pleasure of partnering with Pastor Rodley Ortiz from PMC, Pioneer Memorial Church, there at Andrews University. We're preaching on the same topic, and that topic today is atonement. Now, uh, the truth is, if you tune into his message, it's going to be different from mine. We're different people, and we actually have to give it a, co a college-dale twist, right, because we have to apply it to us. So just know it's going to be a lot of information. I'm going to try to crank through it as fast as I can uh, due to time, so you will have homework. And at the same time, uh, if you would like church uh, sermon notes, okay, um, just feel free to email me. My email is kmota at southern.edu, and I'll be happy to share that with you, okay? So now's that opportunity for you to get your pens ready, your papers ready, your device, however you want to take notes, uh, because we're about to jump in. Now, my prayer is this. This is my prayer. That by the end of this message, you will be convinced 
that at one meant surrender to self. At one meant surrender to self. Let us bow our heads and close our eyes for prayer. Father, as we discuss this topic of being at one with you and with one another, I ask that your Holy Spirit may speak to me, for me, and through me. I've asked this before because I know that this is not about me. It has nothing to do with me, but has everything to do with you. We're not here by mistake. So thank you for bringing us. Help us to have receptive hearts to what you have to say. We thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, dear ones. So you also know about me that when we're going to go ahead and uh, share this time together and I speak, I like to clarify terms. I want to make sure that you and I are on the same page. And that way, when I mention different words that you're going to hear throughout the sermon, you and I know exactly what we're talking about. So uh, these are some of the terms, okay, that we're going to define. Uh, we have atonement, we have reparation, we have rebellion, we have reconciliation, propitiation, one, and unity. All right, you're going to hear these words throughout the message, and I want to clarify these terms first of all. Okay, this is the, what some people may say, the, the boring part, but here we go. Atonement as defined in the Oxford Dictionary, is reparation for a wrong or injury. In the, religious, in the religious context, reparation or expiation of sin. Now, in Christian theology, okay, it is defined as the reconciliation of God and humankind through Jesus Christ. Okay? So, that's how we're going to use the word atonement. Now, reparation, according to Merriam-Webster, is the act of making amends, offering expiation, or giving satisfaction to a wrong or injury. That is definition number 2A. Okay, just want to make sure that you knew this is how I'm going to be utilizing the word reparation, which sometimes can be a, a hot-button word for us. Now, rebellion is the other word, and according to Merriam-Webster, that is the opposition to one in authority or dominance. Opposition to one in authority or dominance. It's going to be very interesting. You're going to hear that word a lot. Now, reconciliation. The Oxford Dictionary says it's the restoration of friendly relations. The restoration of friendly relations. Now, propitiation, where it is not used frequently, uh, Merriam-Webster says is the act of gaining or regaining the favor or goodwill of someone or something. Okay, it is the gaining, the act of gaining or regaining the favor or goodwill of someone or something. Two more words. The word one. Merriam-Webster says it's being a single unit or thing. Being a single unit or Thing. And then finally, the word unity. The definition from Merriam-Webster is the quality or state of not being multiple. Oneness. Okay? Definition 2A says a condition of harmony or accord. And then finally, the quality or state of being made one or unification. Okay? So this is important as you hear these terms throughout 
the message today. Now, let's talk about this big word that is atonement. And as I was preparing for the message, I was asking God for how, how to better express or explain the feeling we may have as human beings due to our human nature, our sinful human nature. And then I received a poem from one of our youth. Now, I am not going to share their identity, but I did receive permission to share the poem with you. Now, let me tell you something about this student. This student is an amazing person. They are definitely a model child, sibling, student, musician, athlete, worker, and disciple of Jesus Christ. They are all of these things. So, do not be surprised when you hear some of the struggles, and I want you to reflect on the fact that maybe, just maybe, we can relate to some of these challenges. They write, in a difficult season of their life, I can't feel him anymore. I try and I try, but I feel so far away from him. I want him back, and I don't know how. What if what I have with him isn't enough? What if I failed him? What if I get to his throne and he says no? Why can't I hear him the way I used to? Why can't I see him in the ways I used to? Why can't I feel him anymore? I pray, I do devotionals, I try and I try and I still feel lost. I want to feel his arms around me again. I want to stop falling. I want him to be my foundation. I want my life to be built on him. I want to have strength like David and Moses and Noah. I want to pray when the world tears me apart. I want to smile knowing that I have God on my side. I want to show others that my God actually means something to me and that he's not just someone out there, but he is God. The creator of everything. I want him to be my God. I don't want to fake it. I can't keep it up anymore. It's too much, everything. I'm the one who has to be strong, who has to have the godly life, who has to get the good grades, and who has to be a model for others, and I just can't. I can't do that if I don't have God. I need him, and I don't know how to find him right now. I need him. powerful stuff coming from one of our youth and I don't know if you can relate with some of the struggles that were mentioned but I can but did you know that Jesus knew that we were going to feel this way Jesus knew 
that the result of sin and sinful nature was going to create separation between him and us and ultimately between us and each other. He knew that this was not exactly what he intended for our world. He created us to be one with him. But you and I know what the results are because immediately after Adam and Eve sinned, if we go way back to the Garden of Eden, their first reaction after eating the fruit was what? What did they do? They hid. They realized that they were nude, and then they went and they hid. And after they hid, they were trying to clothe themselves in the light that they had lost. So, dear ones, it is spelled out for us right there from the beginning. When sin came in, it separated us from God. It is the natural result. And guess what? After thousands of years of sin, we run the risk of being separated from God. It is natural. But the good news is that Jesus, knowing this, he prayed for us. He prayed for you, and he prayed for me. Let's turn to some red letters in John, the book of John, chapter 17. And in John chapter 17, let me frame it for you. Jesus had already prayed for himself somewhat. He prayed for his disciples, and then he chose to pray for us. And these are the words in the New International Version, in case it doesn't match what you have, in John chapter 17, beginning in verse 20. Jesus' words, he says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also, he's talking about the disciples, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that's you and I, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Verse 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. And finally, verse 23, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. It's good news, dear ones. Jesus knew that at some point we were going to feel separate from him. We were going to feel possibly alone. But his prayer was that we would be one with him and one with each other. He gets you and he gets me. He knows you and he knows me. And he's inviting you and inviting me to get to know him. Now, as I said earlier, sin separates us from God, hence the need for atonement. So let's go ahead and talk about the Day of Atonement. It's in Leviticus chapter 16. Now, due to time, I'm not going to go into all the details. 
but I am going to highlight different texts that are going to lead us to this understanding, ultimately, that atonement meant sacrifice of self or surrender of self. So here's the idea. You get to read the whole chapter, okay, and I'll frame it for you. Aaron's kids had just been killed because they had presented strange fires before the Lord. So God speaks to Moses, and he tells Moses to tell Aaron exactly how this day of atonement is going to work. So there are different rituals. He had to dress a certain way. He had to bring certain rams and bulls and what have you and sacrifice those. And it gets us to this particular point where he gets to go into the most holy place, which he could only do once a year and only the high priest could do it. Nobody else could. In this sanctuary that was in the middle of the Israelite camp, he brings this blood and he sprinkles it on the mercy seat. Which if, if, you're, if you've ever seen a replica of the ark, you know that the mercy seat is, is just a cover. That is actually the, the, the Hebrew word utilized for that mercy seat. It means a cover. That's going to be important for later on. But here we go to Leviticus chapter 16, verse 16. And again, it's in the New International Version. And listen to what is being said to Aaron. In this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites. Whatever their sins have been, he is to do the same for the tent of meeting for which I, which is, sorry, among them in the midst of their uncleanness. So, in other words, in the middle of all of the Israelites was God. And in the middle of all of their sin, in the middle of all their rebellion, in the middle of all their mess, God was there. Daily, they would take sacrifices, different ones, to the the temple. And on this one day, they were able to present it to God in the most holy place, and their sins were forgiven. This is good news, dear ones. But yes, in the middle of all of the mess, God was present. So we go down a couple of texts to verse 21. And it says, he is to lay both hands. This is after he sprinkles the blood on the mercy seat, then he has to go and do something else. This was the next step. He is to lay both hands on the head of a live goat and confess over it, all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all of their sins, in other words, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed to the task. So after atonement was taking place, there was a confession of the sins that had been made that were placed on top of this goat and removed. Then we continue in verses 29 to 31. It says, This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the tenth day of the seventh month, you must deny yourselves and do, do, do not, or not do, and not do, sorry, any work, whether native born or a foreigner residing among you. Verse 30, because on this day, 
atonement will be made for you, to cleanse you. Then before the Lord, you will be clean from all your sins. Verse 31, it is a day of Sabbath rest, and you must deny yourselves. It is a lasting ordinance. Now, granted, we don't follow a lot of these rituals anymore. But I'm thinking as we're heading into a new year, what a better day than today to confess our sins and start brand new with Jesus Christ. Whatever happened before today doesn't matter because atonement has been taking place and is currently taking place for us. I mean, listen to this. There were four things that had to be done after the confession part. Those four things were fast, rest, receive, and remember. So after the confession was made and the goal was, you know, while atonement is happening, you know, they were supposed to fast. They were supposed to rest. They were supposed to receive that forgiveness and that cleansing. And ultimately, they were supposed to remember what God had done for them. Now you ask, why are these things important? Well, because as I mentioned earlier, since sin separates us from God and ultimately from one another, more on this in a little bit, okay, the result is that we can feel alone. We can feel helpless. We can feel guilty. And sometimes we even feel shame. So it's of utmost importance for us to take advantage of this opportunity that is taking place right now where Jesus Christ is atoning for your and my sins. Jesus is doing everything possible, listen carefully, to save us. He does not need our help. He does not rely or depend on us. He has done it all. Oh, dear ones, this is good news. It's not bad news. Is it good news? Okay, thank you. Okay, I was concerned there for a little bit. You're not as excited as I am, but that's all right. All right, so listen to this. Feeling alone and removed from God is a natural effect. Okay, it's a natural cause because of our sinful human nature, which Jesus came to atone for, okay? And he's currently transforming you and I into his likeness through his Holy Spirit. And this is the point, or my point, of atonement. It is we celebrate Christmas time to remind ourselves of the fact that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. So if you've been feeling alone, I want to give you good news. You just finished celebrating the fact that you're not alone. Jesus Christ is here with you through the Holy Spirit. And the idea is he's saying, I died. I loved you enough to give my life for you. And now I also resurrected. So through that, you have hope. You have hope of something greater. You have hope of a better life. You have hope of eternal life. And then he says, now I'm in the heavenly sanctuary atoning for your sins so you don't have to worry about salvation. Salvation is taken care of by God. Now, there's some people who don't agree with that. And I get it. There's some people that feel, no, 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 no. I have to do what I, my part and I have to do what I have to do. And, and I hear you. There is a role that we play. But that role was summarized 
into two principles by Jesus. He says that we have to love the Lord our God above all things, and we have to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Now, mind you, if you go back to the ark, okay, there was that mercy seat that was covering, it was like a lid covering what? It was the Ten Commandments. So the idea is, and this is the great news, dear ones, it is Jesus who covers us with his righteousness. So when the Heavenly Father is looking at us, when atonement is happening for us, it is Jesus saying, it is not what Curcio has done. It is what I have done for Curcio. And the fact that he accepted me through faith, I now cover him with my righteousness. And when God looks at me, I don't have to worry about his wrath because he's busy giving me life. So I don't have to be concerned. I don't have to keep working for my salvation because God has already taken care of that. So then if God has taken care of that, then what am I supposed to be focusing on? I believe that our battle, dear ones, our battle is against self. It's against self. Why is the battle against self? Well, simple. Rebellion is to go against an authority or someone in dominance or power. If you and I are daily battling with God to be in control of our own lives and looking out for ourselves, then what ends up happening is we run the risk of living in sin. The more we satisfy the desires of our hearts, the more we try to do what I think is right for me, and the less I surrender to God and surrender control to him, I find myself in a challenging situation that could potentially lead me into a life of sin. So the battle isn't against each other. My battle is me surrendering to God. We understand that sin is a transgression of the law. As I mentioned earlier, the law is to love God above all things and to love my neighbor as I love myself. And therefore, if I struggle with loving God and if I struggle with loving my neighbor, then just maybe I am transgressing the law. Therefore, I'm living in sin. So the battle that I have is against myself. It's against control. It's against surrender, a daily surrender to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I believe that atonement, which I heard this before and I took it and I said, this is great. If you break the word down, it's broken down into at-one-ment. And God is wanting to be one with us. So atonement is so important because it's how God reconciles us back to him. So confession is important. So walking with one another is important. And you and I should really, well, strive daily, especially beginning this new year, to fulfill these two principles of loving God above all things and loving my neighbor as I love myself. So, young people, hear me. I know you guys are in here. I see some of you. Let me say this in layman's terms. So let me have your undivided attention for a quick moment. As we surrender, okay, being at one with God is easier to obtain. So at one with God is to surrender to self daily. When we surrender, we draw closer to God and to one another. More on this shortly. Because we are no longer in rebellion. 
Rebellion, again, is turning away and taking control. I'm not going to follow the authority. The authority, dear ones, is Jesus Christ. The Israelites found themselves in rebellion when they didn't listen to Jesus Christ. So if we make a concerted effort in letting God be in control of our lives and not us ourselves, then we are able to be one with God. Now get this, when we fail to surrender, and we do, and we will, and we try to take control of our own lives, a.k.a. rebellion, God loves us so much that he's willing to forgive us if we confess our sins. So there's no need, when I find myself in sin, there is no need for me to turn away from God. No. What we should be doing as we find ourselves in sin is to press into my saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Because Jesus finds himself with his arms wide open and saying, I am here. He knocks at the door of our hearts and he says, let me in. Because he wants to make us like him. So at one meant surrender to self daily. If you don't believe me, let's listen to what the Apostle Paul has to say. In Romans chapter 5. Now, dear ones, this is all good news. It's all good news. Romans chapter 5. Listen to what Paul says. Again, in the New International Version. He says, in verse 1, right there in Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Verse 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Oh, come on. Okay, this is good news because I don't know about you, but I am very much ungodly. I realize that the Word of God says that we've all fallen short of the glory of God, that we are sinners, and ultimately we're in need of salvation. And we're told right here that while we were still sinners, our God died for us. This is good news. Verse 7, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. Verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Dear ones, we have to accept that by faith. You haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. But God's word is true. And God's word tells us that he did just this. But you have, the role we have to play is to accept that what God said is true and that it applies to you and to me. So I'm going back to Romans 5. Listen to this. 
in verse 9, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, that I have been reconciled, not through me, but through what Jesus has done for me. This is good news, dear ones. This is an opportunity that God is saying for you and for me, to be at one with him. He's doing everything possible. So like I mentioned earlier, we don't have to fear God's wrath because Christ got us covered. His righteousness is represented through the atonement that was promised in the Old Testament that we read in Leviticus 16. And what is taking place right now as Jesus is interceding for us in the heavenly sanctuary. So now you and I can focus wholeheartedly on the actual mission. The mission of loving God above all things and my neighbor as I love myself. Now that salvation has been taken care of. So this is the twist, dear ones. The mission of our church is what? The mission of the College Dale Seventh-day Adventist Church is? Thank you. Make friends. Oh, whoa, okay. So make friends. This is our mission. So Jesus Christ is saying for us to be at one, he wants us to focus on being friends with him and friends with one another. Okay. So listen to why making friends is so important. Follow me. I'm almost done, I promise. Making friends is so important because the enemy knows that Christ has already done everything for our salvation. And since Satan knows this now, what he does is he wants to wreak havoc on our relationships. Why? Because when our relationships are in disarray, okay, he knows that it's easier for us to feel alone. It's easier for us to be a target to be destroyed, because when we start to pull away from each other, when we start to pull away from God, we become more vulnerable. So Satan knows that he can destroy us if we feel alone. So making friends is so critical because we need each other in order to survive. This is why God said, love the Lord your God above all things, but love your neighbor as you love yourself. So God is already telling you and he's telling me of the importance of us to journey together on this Christian walk. And this is exactly what Satan is targeting. So your battle is not against people, dear ones. Your battle is against yourself. The battle is self because we naturally want to be in control. And what Jesus is saying to you and he's saying to me is surrender to my will. Let me be in control. And as you draw closer to me, I will draw you closer to one another and give you everything you need to get what your heart so desires, which is eternal life. And we know this is true 
because we just celebrated it a couple days ago. It's good news, dear ones. So you may be asking yourself, well, all right, all right, Pastor Kay, what, are you, what exactly are you saying? Are you saying that now that I don't have to worry about my salvation, I should focus on developing deeper and closer relationships? And the answer to that question is, yes, dear ones. This is exactly what I'm trying to say. I'll conclude with some research. Okay, I'm going to share some research, and then after that, we're done. The New York Times wrote an article about this. Very important. Want to take notes here. Why are friendships important? Well, research is clear. Close friendships are necessary for optimal health and well-being. For optimal health and well-being, friendships, close friendships, are necessary. We're social and communal creatures, said Serena Chen, which is a social psychologist and professor of psychology at the University of California, Berkeley. When we are intimate with another person, we can experience positive mental and physical reaction in our body, our minds, and in our hearts. So it's good for our health to be in close relationships with others. Dr. Mir Levine, a psychiatrist and a neuroscientist and the author of Attached, the new, science adult, um, the new Science of Adult Attachment and How It Can Help You Find and Keep Love. It's a long title for a book, but that's what it is. Uh, his, he studied humans and animals as a way to understand human bonding. And he says this, social connections are the most powerful way for us to regulate our emotional distress. I'll share that again. Social connections are the most powerful way for us to regulate our emotional distress. Now, I don't know about you, but this world is in such disarray that I find myself in emotional distress often. But this is where our social interactions are excellent and necessary. Dr. Levine continues saying, if you're in distress, being in proximity to someone you're securely attached to is the most effective way to calm yourself. Well, what exactly does closeness look like then? A key to close friendships is intimacy. And a big part of intimacy is being able to, to be fully yourself and be seen and understood by others. And Dr. Chen continues, when people close to us don't get us, it's undermining to our intimacy. So again, it's about getting to know and being known. And God wants you and I to not just be known by him, but for us to know him. So closeness has a reciprocation, and it's the key element to creating intimacy. Dr. Chen explained why all the people you know on Facebook or Instagram don't necessarily count as close friends. Here's why. 
When we post something on Facebook and people give us affirmation in the way of nice comments or encouragement, that feels good. But it doesn't necessarily create intimacy because there's no give and take. A big part of intimacy is that both people feel that they are seen and understood by the other person. Sadly, through social media, you can't really accomplish that. But then you would say, well, if we need closeness so much, shouldn't it just be natural? Well, according to John Cassiopo, a social neuroscientist who specialized in the study of loneliness, okay, he passed away in 2018, humans would have, listen to this, humans would have evolved a built-in bias against easily making friends because avoiding an enemy would have been more important than making a friend. So oftentimes what makes it difficult for us to make friends is that we're busy trying to avoid enemies. And because we're trying to avoid enemies, we have difficulty making friends. So then the question is how? How do I do this? If what you're saying is true and you believe the research, how do we accomplish this? Five ways, real quick. Here we go. Number one, create a foundation of security. Create a foundation of security. How? They gave us an acronym for it. It's CARP, C-A-R-R-P, and it is consistency. Do these friends drift in and out of my life on a whim? Availability. How available are they to spend time together? Reliability. Can I count on them if I need something? Responsiveness. Do they reply to my emails and texts? Do I hear from them on a consistent basis? Now, dear ones, we understand you can't reply to every single text and email immediately. That's not what we're talking about here. We're just talking about communication. Predictability. Can I count on them to act in a certain way? So again, to create a foundation of security, we need to have consistently, uh, consistency, sorry, availability, reliability, responsiveness, and predictability. Point number two, we have to pay close attention. Look, we have a natural way, okay, of creating close friendships if we just opened our eyes. We naturally, as human beings, have the ability to read emotion and to mimic subtle facial expressions that, dis- that displays empathy. I mean, if somebody's on their phone and you're trying to talk to them and they're constantly like this, do you feel heard? Do you feel seen? However, if I put this down for a moment and I sit with you and I watch you as we talk and, and I'm going to naturally show empathy. And this world lacks empathy. It lacks compassion. And we're being challenged to pay close attention. Now, this next one is challenging. First, we create a foundation of security. Then we have to pay close attention. But then, point number three is we have to let 
yourself, let ourselves be known. What does that mean? If you want to be seen for who you are, you have to be willing to stop pretending to be somebody cooler or something smarter than you really are. We're sinners in need of salvation. None of our lives are perfect. And no matter how hard we try to show that, we know. So let yourself be seen who you really are. Fourth, let yourself, sorry, take friends on a test drive. That was a little bit odd for me and wonky, so I'll explain it. The suggestion was by Dr. Levine that the next time we have an issue, a tricky work situation or a need of help coordinating a birthday dinner or with homework, you should go out of your way to lean on a friend. Not only is that a low-risk way, low way to testing how reliable a friend is, it also builds closeness. When we give someone a chance to show up for us, we pose an opportunity for greater bonding and closeness. How often do we find ourselves saying, I don't want to ask them, they're too busy. I got it. If we don't give people the opportunity to show us that they care, or that they want to be close to us, it's going to make it really hard to build a good friend. So after we create a foundation of security, we pay close attention, we let ourselves be known, and we take our friends on a test drive, we have to accept, this is the final one, that closeness isn't a one-size-fits-all. Not all your relationships are going to look exactly the same. But it doesn't mean that you don't have a close relationship. And instead of trying to fit people into your box, how about we try to let God be the one to mold that box for us as we open our hearts to those around us? Dr. Chen said, that it varied from person to person. Some of us need dozens of connections, and some of us just need two or three. But we all need some closeness to others. What all the experts agreed upon is that intimacy with other people, whether it's a spouse, a family member, or a friend, is one of the most profound ways to be happier, healthier, and calmer. Dr. Levine said, it's so potent that it will work much better than any Xanax out there. So here it is, dear ones. Jesus wants to be close to you. He wants to be at one with us. He has done everything in his power to be close to you and to me. Now the question is, will we let him? And when we let him, will we draw closer to others? Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us so much that even 
when we were still sinners and your enemies, you died for us. And you continue to work every which angle to give us salvation. So, Father, as we shift from focusing on our salvation to to, to fulfilling those two principles you gave us, to love you above all things and to love our neighbors as we love ourselves, I ask that we can start this new year afresh, understanding that our sins have been forgiven and we can walk in the newness of life with you. So thank you. Thank you for being love, for loving each and every one of us, and because love conquers all. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.